a lot of startups is the owner of the business you keep thinking i think i'm not normal it is true that teacher who said i will not get anywhere they were right i was searching everywhere how to make it in the training industry in kenya in africa what impacted my life most was the little things that we ignore as startups and we fail in business i had decided by the time i hit 5 years in this company this is the amount of money i will want to be earning i was confident that i would do it so well for myself then uh, there's a popular saying that says kwa ground vitu ni different i lost money i was conned by the way so i find another person and this time i inbox her she gives me an appointment i meet her she really helped me you know how she helped me by telling me pity what is it that i'm actually looking for do we really know life sure. let me say intelligence emotional intelligence social intelligence financial intelligence so i believe it's important for each and every one of us to understand the rules that govern any arena of your life you are listening to the revenge of the forsaken gods a podcast that explores the human experience and seeks to create a blueprint for living using books, stories, movies and conversations. And here is your host, Andrew Balongo Opere. Would you like to be paid for the knowledge or expertise that you have? Do you know that you have a lot of expertise but you have no idea how to make money from your expertise? Andrew Balongo Pere here and you're listening and watching The Revenge of the Forsaken Gods podcast and today you're in for a very special treat where you will be shown how to make money from your expertise. Our guest today has an interesting story from how she wanted to be a lawyer but ended up being a teacher but then transformed into being a coach that impacts people's lives and she was even given money by someone who heard her story of how her father had a very positive impact on her life without further ado let me introduce for you the lady that shows you how to get paid for your professional knowledge skills and expertise so that you can create the life of your dreams coach betty mora wow what an introduction andrew <laughs> thank you very much very thank welcome you. thank you very much and thank you for inviting me to the podcast yes i totally appreciate yes in fact um, I'm happy I met you because there are a lot of people that have so many skills mm-hmm. but just have no way of uh how to make money from that. How did you get into this journey? Because I know as a kid you aren't just thinking I want to be a coach, you know. Yeah. <laughs> What did you want to be when uh when you were growing up? I I wanted to be a lawyer and that grew from the from my love for books, love for philosophy. and from my love for good things I, i like good things and that i picked from my dad growing up my dad would bring me different literature he would bring me magazines he would bring me books my dad bought me my first novel when i was a class 5 kid when i look at that novel today it was a bit adult but i don't think he he meant it in that way he just wanted me to improve my grammar and i remember him telling me mom he used to call me mom when i come back next time on leave i want 
to find you with a whole book of difficult words, things you didn't understand from this novel. He's actually the one who told me this is called a novel. It's not a textbook. It's not a magazine. It's something to entertain you, but also to teach you a little bit of grammar and, you know, the power of storytelling. So I read the book. He would bring me a weekly review. There used to be such <laughs> magazines. I wonder if the generation of today, you know, found them anywhere, but there used to be weekly review. Wow. I remember my dad bringing us um, a magazine describing the king of Brunei. And I, I went through that magazine not once, not twice, not thrice. He brought us a magazine to read the story of Margaret Thatcher. That time she, she was the big boss and the boss lady. And I remember thinking to myself, someone could actually have 3,000 pairs of shoes. So growing up, I had the picture of, you know, it's possible. I saw possibilities. But I saw them in books and magazines and the literature that my parents gathered for us. So, and of course, they introduced us to TV a long time ago. So I remember there was a program by lawyers. I'll tell you the name by the time we close. <laughs> so I grew up wanting to be a lawyer because I, I, my grammar was good. I performed well in school. I wore glasses. <laughs> Not many people wore glasses. <laughs> so in my everyday life, people would tell me, you actually talk and act like a lawyer. I wanted to be that lawyer. And I actually started working hard to be a lawyer because when my mom would send me to the market, I would go. The first day I went to the market, I found out where the locots were in, in my village. I found out where the locots were and I went there. I ran, I sat inside and I got lost in the lingo. I loved the judge, she was a lady and the prosecutor. So, they, they, you know, they would say the big words, eh? cap this, cap that. And I kept wondering, probably I was in class five, I was very small. But that planted a seed in me. I wanted to be like that judge. I wanted to be in legal. I wanted to argue cases. I wanted, I didn't really want justice for people. It didn't occur to me. I, was, I, didn't, I didn't want it for that reason. I just needed it for the, you know, finesse they presented it with. And the fact that my dad had created a picture of, Whatever you want in this life, you can have it, ma'am. But you need to work hard. You need to put your stuff together and you need to be focused. So I knew it would be possible. It was just a matter of time. Wow. And he's telling you all this and you're in Sanad 4 and 5. Absolutely. Those were the stories my dad grew up telling me. But now I think, you know, you're a cool kid. You said you grew up watching TV and then you're in the village. You guys had a TV in the village. Uh, Andrew, us guys were born in Nairobi, mm -hmm. but my parents were civil servants. My mom was a teacher, my dad was a civil servant. Because of the transfer that happened with civil servants then, I don't know if it still happens up to today, my dad opted to take for security and stability. He opted to take us to where his village was. So we, he got us good things. He has always been a cool man, by the way. 
So he's always bought us these things that we had in Nairobi. He got us a TV, he got us magazines, he built us a good home. We were actually in town, only that it was in the village. And he, the culture of being fine, the being cultured, being fine, being, you know, knowing where the world is going, he never let that go. Okay, you know. Yeah. You know, since, uh, you know, my my father was not as cool as yours, you know, just paint for me a picture. How was he fine, you know? I, I Growing up, I picked it later in life. He was as fine as his mom, my grandma. My grandma was a cool grandma. <laughs> it was a cool grandma who would um, spend the whole day arranging her clothes, ironing her clothes for Sunday. She wore stockings in the village and palms and did her hair, her long white hair. She was a cool grandma, so I think my dad picked it from his mother and, and I picked it from my dad. So that, that's how our family was. So the, the, what my dad did for us and my parents is that even though they got us out of town, they didn't really immerse us too much. They still kept telling us, you want to go back to Nairobi, you can take yourself back to Nairobi by just focusing and remaining serious with your studies. And, you know, I had a funny story where you got made fun of for going to school in shoes because you're a Nairobi person and the kids were not. Yeah, I remember that when when we landed in the village, you know, we we went to school just the way we were going to school here. I was the one going to school. My siblings were very young. So I remember getting to school in shoes and everyone looked at me and, you know, they made fun. And I removed my shoes and hid them in the bushes. So you can imagine I'm trying to step. I, you know, it, it was a bit of culture shock. But since everyone, you know, they seemed to be comfortable. And when I went home in the evening, I told that to my mom. She said, oh, you know, just be friendly. Don't. I cried a lot that day. I cried. She said, no, don't cry. Stick it up the way. You know, what did you do? I didn't tell her that I had hid my shoes. But uh, she encouraged me just to. It, she said, it will be over. Don't worry, it will be over. They're just excited to see a new person. It will be over. Wow. Yeah. wow. And, and yeah, tell me, how did you use your newfound intelligence and power of words in school? I'm sure, you know, after reading the weekly review and this novel, and you're armed with, you know, these new words, how did that show up in school? I, I must say that the influence my dad had on me of, you know, introducing me to books, magazines, literature that wasn't easily available. And he also made sure that he he rewarded me for putting down difficult words, new words, and waiting for him, you know, during his leave days. We would sit, he would tell me, this word means this. This word, it means this. The one that I remember was the word proxy. I learned that word in class five. And many other words. So when daddy came and explained what the words meant eh, over the weekend, I couldn't wait for Monday. And I couldn't wait for my English teacher. 
to come and tell us to write a composition. I was armed eh, to the teeth. I made sure all the big words, names dropping hasn't started now. I name, dropped the names. And I was a very quiet kid in the school, so no one noticed me too much. But when I did that, when my English teacher read my composition, he stopped the whole school and he said he's never seen that with a class five child. So there was a staff, you know, the teachers wanted to read my composition. And the following morning in the parade, my composition was read. That gave me a boost of confidence. And, you know, the, the headmaster read my composition, the whole of it. And all the kids were like, oh, wow, oh my God, does that even mean, you know? And, and I remember feeling so good. Of course, I was very shy. And as they read that composition, I, I looked down. But that truly proved to me what my dad kept telling me. Whatever it is that you want, you can get it. Work hard, put in the, the, the work, be serious, focus, and practice. So from that day, I became a celeb of some kind. Everyone would wait for me to write my, my composition. My mom was a Kiswahili teacher. So she did her job to make sure I was also the best in Kiswahili. And I wrote the best in Shaz around. Eh? So I was a language kind of girl. And because of that, I kept thinking I'll definitely end up being a lawyer. However, I forgot that to be a lawyer, you needed a straight A in math. <laughs> I wasn't very good in math, so <laughs> there went my low, low career. I didn't do very well in math. I didn't get a knee straight, and that meant I couldn't be a lawyer. But I'm, I'm rethinking, maybe I could pursue that in my <laughs> age. <laughs> wow, wow. So now, yeah. if the option for a lawyer is not on the table, mm. then what did you branch into? And just before you answer that, yes, we're going to take a break and we'll be right back after the break. All righty. My name is Coach Betty and you are listening or watching the Revenge of the Forsaken Gods podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Keep listening for more inspirational stories. Welcome back. You're listening or watching to the Revenge of the Forsaken Gods podcast. I am Andrew Balongo Perry, and yes, we've just been listening to the story of Coach Betty Mwaura. And before the break, we were just talking about of uh, her goal of being a lawyer dashed just because uh, she didn't do well in maths. And we're just curious, what did she do instead? Uh, so when my efforts failed, of course, I studied hard. I studied really hard and got marks to take me to uni. You know, Andrew, during our days, uh, kids didn't have a big voice like today. And parents made a lot of decisions for you. So my good mom, who is a teacher, told me, my daughter, I would like you to get a job after you finish campus. So take a teaching course so that you can get a job. Teachers, teachers really never go out of jobs and they never lack employment. So go study teaching, and after that you will get a job. So I get into campus, I study B.Ed. 
um, I finish my course. I do. And, and for those commoners uh, like oh, us sorry, who don't know beard, bachelor of education. <laughs> I did a bachelor of education. Um, but I was lucky to do that degree. In fact, I thank my mom for choosing that degree for me. It really mm. helps in coaching. I didn't know then. Today I know. And one of the best things I learned, uh, you know, doing that, taking that course is curriculum development and how to teach grown-ups. In uni, you are taught how to teach grown-ups. So that has really been helpful for me as I do my coaching today, but that's a story we, we will get into. So I get to campus, I finish my degree, and I decide um, I don't want to be a, like a classroom teacher. This is my degree, but I don't want to be a classroom teacher. So when I was in campus, I meet um, I meet Pastor Alan and Kathy Kuna. They come to preach in campus, and they remind me of my dad. They speak the language that my dad used to speak. It is possible. Don't you dare give up. Work hard. Put your things in order. And I start following them and reading their books. I read all the books they had written. I went to their bookshop. I borrowed the books and I read them. And I remember I, I attended many sermons in that church. But the sermon that shaped <laughs> my life is the sermon that Pastor Alan preached and said, for those of you who have finished your degrees, university degrees, please don't go back to the village. In fact, I was planning, my mom was planning to get me a job, a teaching job at home, and I would have gotten it. But that Sunday he said, don't you dare go back to the village. Your parents took you to school to come to the city to see better things so that in future we will improve their lives. Don't go back to the village. You have better chances here. Go get a job. And I remember him saying, if you've just graduated and you don't have a job, this whole week go buy a full, you know, a whole, you know, a whole bunch of full scabs. Do application letters to all the banks. He mentioned the ones that he knew. Do those application letters to, there's a new company called Safaricom, there's Airtel. He mentioned big companies. And he said, I can assure you, if you write 50 letters to 50 companies, the probability of you lacking a job is very, very slim. I want you to go and do that. I'm a good student and I like implementing knowledge. I, I love knowledge. So when I hear good knowledge, I like implementing. Following Monday, I went and bought a, full, a whole bunch of full scabs, a whole, you know. I sat down and I bought envelopes and I did applications. I did so many of them. And because I couldn't afford stamps for each and every letter, I literally called my friends and we walked, all of us, everyone with their bahash, no envelope, and we dropped to the various places. Faith and the right mindset works almost all the time. So I got called and I was lucky to get a job at uh, Safaricom. And I will say it's because Pastor Alan talked about it and I took action 
in long story short, I got my first employment was at Safaricom. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Congratulations. So so now I ended up uh, being in telco, telecommunications from, from learn, you know, my degree in teaching. I didn't go to classroom to teach. Though I taught in a college in town, I did. I did teach in a college. And then I went to be to be at Safaricom to learn about telcos and you know, whatever other things were coming up during that time. And how did being at Safaricom shape your life? Good question. Being in Safaricom shaped my life because it opened me up to a lot of opportunities. I did so much training. The company, you know, trained us so much. We were in a training literally every quarter. There was a training to improve our skills so that we could give better service and to improve the product knowledge, eh? the products we were dealing with, so that by the time you get to the client, you already know what it is you are dealing with. You are not going to confuse the client or to look like you don't know what you're doing. So our skills were upgraded big time, and I thank Safaricom for that. They also improved our knowledge, either than product knowledge or general telco knowledge. Global, our neighbors, a lot of that information was brought along. That's one thing I really, really learned from Safaricom. Number two, the culture of hard work. That place we worked. The ethos. Work ethics plus, plus, plus. It was good. We respected our jobs. We worked hard. We earned our money. And most importantly, marketing. I learned my marketing skills from Safaricom and also treating my client as the boss of whatever I do. I learned from Safaricom that Safaricom didn't employ me. They said, we don't employ you. The person who employs you is that client. If they stop shopping from us, you go home and we also go home as the directors and this company closes down. So who is the real boss? I learned that and I always treat my customers today, wherever I do, whatever I do, I treat them as the real boss because I know if they don't shop from me, I will close shop. Well, that's a powerful marketing lesson I've never had before, but uh, wow. And so your time at Safaricom, you've learned how to train, yeah. you, the, the, the ethos of uh, working hard mm-hmm. and the reality of how to market, mm-hmm. you know, considering that the customer is a boss. Mm-hmm. Now, how did you transition from working at Safaricom mm-hmm. to being a coach, or how did that, how did that start to happen? Good question. Um, I worked for Safaricom, but by the time I was joining Safaricom, you remember my growing up story. Mm-hmm. So I grew up ambitious. I wanted that good life that I saw in the magazines that my dad brought home. I knew it was possible because he had said so. I also knew it was possible because I had tried things using the principles my dad taught me and things had worked. 
So even by the time I was joining the big telecom, I was still very ambitious. And I gave myself a target. And I had decided by the time I'm working for the, by the time I hit five years in this company, this is the amount of money I will want to be earning. I expect my salary to be this much. But you see, Andrew, as they say, we took our ground in the different. I, I, I didn't know then. I didn't know how much they were paying. I just had a figure in my brain because I had sat down to write my dream life and do what we call dreamlining. Dreamlining is a, is, is a coaching technique we use to help people put a figure to their dreams. It was popularized by Tim Ferriss. You know, so I had done dreamlining. Dreamlining means these are my dreams. How much will they cost me? What is the amount of time? You know, how much will they cost me in terms of finances, time, energy, effort? I had done all that. So by the time it was five years, I started realizing my dream and where I am, we are, we are going parallel directions. We are actually not just going to the same direction. And that's the power of having a vision. Not only having a vision, but being serious about that vision. Most people don't get there because they just have a dream. I want to fly the world. I want to visit three destinations every year. They don't know how much it's going to cost them in terms of time, money, effort. I want to be a journalist. Do you want to be a journalist? Do you want to do that makeup every day? You want to be in a suit every day? When you do dreamlining, it clears, it, it helps you get clarity. And you actually, if I knew those days what being a lawyer is, I would have abandoned that dream. <laughs> because it, I would have seen, oh, being a lawyer means one, two, three things. I'm not interested. You get. So I had already done that and I realized we weren't getting anywhere. Safaricom didn't do anything wrong to me. Hmm. I wasn't fired. People ask me, you left Safaricom or you are fired? Speak the truth. I wasn't fired. I I, I am the one who, who left work. Okay, so from the dreamlining, mm. how long would it have taken you mm. to fulfill your dream? Oh, I would have forgotten. Good question. From the dreamlining, it needed me to spend another five years so that whatever I wanted to earn in five years, I would earn it in 10 years. So I needed another five years. So I actually realized, oh, if that's the case, then it means I will never achieve my dreams because I also have dreams for 10 years from now. <laughs> that means I'll achieve those dreams in 15 years. And because it's not the problem of the company, the company has its policies, its salary structure, and they can't just give you money because you have a dream. Absolutely not. The company, there's a way the company works. So it's you to decide, um, what am I going to do with this information? Because you cannot um, twist the company to do your wish. It is you to decide, this is not working for me. 
they don't have a problem with me. I don't have a problem with them. But I need to do something else. I need to think out, outside the box. So that's that's how. Okay. So so now then talk to us about leaving Safaricom. Mm. What did you start then after leaving Safaricom and how was the journey? When when I left, I started um a training company. Remember I have background in teaching. So I felt comfortable training during my time there. When I went to the learning and development uh, department, I it was the most enjoyable time of my life. I put into practice my curriculum development skills, my teaching skills, my my coaching skills. I had them but I didn't know it was coaching. My training skills. I liked seeing you know starting something new with a team and I liked the response as we you know we progressed I liked the wow oh is it the transformation that the training cost in people's lives was my driving force like I liked it I I, I was like oh my god I can cause change in someone's life I want to do this plus personally I'm not a very behind you know i don't operations be on the laptop the whole time doing things i don't like that i am a people's person i love seeing the transformation happening i see the big picture i want to work with you to achieve that big picture so because of that what i was comfortable doing was training so i live i start a training company and like most employees i will not say all employees i'll say most most employees live with this mindset since i'm doing very well for this company i will live so that i go do it for myself i know i'll do it much better i want to say that that is not the truth that i found on the ground I was confident that I would do it so well for myself. Then uh, there's a popular saying that says, kwa, kwa ground vitu ni different. <laughs> eh? On the ground, things don't look as they looked when you're on the other side. So it was a surprise. And I thought to myself, I, I thought I was doing this thing very easily. Then I realized I'm a professional. I have transitioned. But then I transitioned with the wrong mindset. And when you transition with the wrong mindset, you come to the ground, you find the ground has gatekeepers. The ground has its owners. The training industry has its owners. And you have to knock the doors. And it looked like there was a code, some kind of code that I didn't understand. I did everything I could to run a good training company. Got a few clients who paid very well and I thought, ah, this is working. Shortly, it wasn't. And I know it is a story of many professionals that I've worked with. They've left their big jobs in the hospitality industry. They've left their big jobs in the medical industry. They have left their big jobs in the financial sector they've set up businesses big office big name big branding 
they got one contract then everything went quiet they wonder what happened so that happened to me as well who seemed to know what they were doing and whatever it is they were doing is what was interesting me so i get close and i realize the doors are closed 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 don't come near you newbie just disappear go back to work go back to employment so I, I i abandoned that project i mean i abandoned that contact and go back to look for who else does this as i search i come across a lady so how how are you searching how i was searching mm-hmm. google youtube facebook you know, I, I wasn't like, you know, when you search on Google, it picks that information. So the next time you're on Facebook, it will show you things related to what you're searching. I was searching everywhere on YouTube. How to make it in the training industry in Kenya, in Africa. in You know, I was searching everywhere because I was wondering, what is it that I'm not doing? I'm a good trainer. I have a good profile. I've worked for a good company. I can see people going for training and team building. I know companies have big training budgets. What is it that I'm not doing? I'm advertising. You know, I'm talking about my services. So I find another person. And this time I inbox her. She also looked like she knows what she's doing. So I inbox and I say, hey, my name is Betty and I've left work, you know, the last one year, been, you know, trying to put up a training company, but I don't know what it is that I'm doing wrong. Could you be kind enough to tell me how it is done? She gives me an appointment. I meet her. And in one hour, she was gracious enough. She, she gave me good information that I kept thinking, oh, all right okay and by the time by the end of that call what i like about her and her name is irene moradi i will not be shy to say that she was my very first coach i've watched worked with coach until now there are things we still do together we collaborate in trainings and coaching sessions she really helped me you know how she helped me mm-hmm. by telling me betty even if i appreciate you and I want to help you. I cannot teach you how to do training business in an hour. And that's all I had to offer. Because I'm a busy professional. I am busy doing my business. Now I have given you, you a whole hour. But I can't teach you how to do business in one. I've shared what I know. And it will help you. However, it's a process. And you need structured support. The support I've given you is good, but it's short. And it needs time. It needs time. So if you want to learn from me, I have this and this coaching sessions. I have this and this coaching program. And I signed up. Why I appreciate Coach Irene is because I see a lot of professionals who want to pick your brain in an hour. And they want to imagine that by the time they finish sitting with you over Java, one cup of Java or a whole two hours of lunch, that they now know how to to run a business. It doesn't work like that. Just as Coach Irene was very candid with me that day, she said, you will not learn in an hour. 
you will need us to sit together. You will need accountability. When you practice this and it works, well and good. If you practice and it doesn't work, you need accountability. You need support. You need encouragement. That cannot happen on this table. And that's the mistake many people are making. They are going to YouTube. They search for every video available. They watch for two minutes. They get distracted. They're on phone. They watch another two minutes. They are called outside. Then they think they now have the knowledge to run a business. Or they follow a coach they admire on social media. They keep tabs on Coach Betty. Every day they keep tabs on a coach they admire. I admire many coaches. I admired Lisa Nichols for long. I don't know if you know Lisa Nichols. Oh, yes. During my finding days, I bumped into her. And I'm telling you, Andrew, I sat in my office. I listened to every video that lady had put on YouTube. Every with a notebook and colored pens. I did my notes and colored pens and stick pads and I immersed myself to learn from Lisa. And after all that, three notebooks later, I still couldn't run a business properly. So one time, as, as a, I, I bought an online program from her, which was short and cheap. I think I bought it for less than 10000 and I thought, this is it, finally. I still didn't learn how to run a business. I learned a lot. Until one time, she sent an email and said, Hey, Betty, I know you're in Africa. I'll be coming to Dubai. If you're interested, these are the VIP ticket rates. These are the normal rates. If you sit in VIP, these are the perks. Because of the impact she had had in my life on YouTube, I paid that ticket straight up, reserved my VIP ticket. And what changed my life is sitting with Lisa for three days in a physical event. All those, there's nothing she said in that physical event that I hadn't heard from the YouTube video. But there's something that comes with access to the right people. There's something that comes with being with that person. There's something that comes with watching that person do their things. And so I learned a lot from her. And that's how my business started, you know, rising. I met other coaches who were in that event as well. I bought their programs. I was with them. Mm. And Would you mind just sharing maybe just three key ideas mm. that you learned from her during that event? I, I will not mind sharing the key ideas. Number one, you, you will be surprised. It is not the big things that we think, this is what will build my business. She did not teach us accounting 101, systems 102. She didn't. She taught those things. But what impacted my life most was the little things that we ignore is startups and we fail in business. Number one, mindset. Having the right mindset to approach your business. Number two, resilience. That lady gave us the story of her business. Now, close. When, when you're close with someone, now they share the failures. On YouTube, their successes, big taking jets and planes and, you know, private jets and all that. But when you sit with someone in a room, when they give you access, 
they tell you these are my struggles. You know what that did to me? I asked myself, if Lisa can go through this, and she's a big brand, why am I worried about my small problems as a business person? I should overcome them and build a business. So she taught us mindset, uh, resilience, and she also taught us the power of support. Who is supporting you? Are you running a one-man show and you think you're in business? Any startup that has you as the director, the cleaner, the what, it's okay you can start like that. But who else is supporting you? Mentally, financially, emotionally? Do you have someone you can call in the evening and tell them, I was waiting for a check, but it has not the, the transaction has not gone through. The client has given me a bouncing check. Or I have taken time. When I started my training business, my biggest frustration was companies calling me because I did quite good marketing and telling me, send us a proposal, telling us in details what this training is going to entail. How much are you going to charge us? What are the methods you are going to train? And I would spend a whole week or two to put up a good proposal. I would follow up and follow up. The next thing I would see is that company on LinkedIn doing their training elsewhere without me. <laughs> and so Lisa taught us, who, who do I talk to about that? It makes me feel bad that I spent two weeks of my life to write a proposal that probably was used, I don't know how it was used, but no one got back to me to tell me, this is where you went right, this is where you went wrong. Who, who do I talk to? I'll be broken for the next two months, blocking other jobs that would have come, but they found me in the wrong, you know, set of, they found me in the wrong state of mind and emotions. Do you have someone you can tell? Do you have someone you can ask, how do I do this? Do you have a network of other business owners who are failing like you? And once you meet for coffee, you can actually, you know, be reassured that you are a normal human being. You know, <laughs> a lot of business, you know, a lot of startups is the owner of the business you keep thinking, I think I'm not normal. I, I think... I can't do this. It is true. That teacher who said I will not get anywhere, they were right. But when you meet with others and they tell you the failures, actually you meet with people who you thought never fail, like Lisa. And she actually says, I failed in this. I, fa I lost money. For me, <laughs> it was the losing money bit. I thought I, thought I had been conned alone. I was conned, by the way. So I kept hiding that information and thinking, what are people going to mm. think? Like, how can I lose money? Okay. Mm. Can we can we take a break? And then after the break, mm. I'd love to hear that no, corner that story. One, no, 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 that yes. one. We'll talk about it another <laughs> But before we take a break, I, yeah. I, I was like, she also lost money. Oh, I think I'm normal. And I need to avoid losing money another time. But I don't need to lose myself in the guilt. Wow. Yeah. Wow. In the guilt. Yes, let's take a break and then after the break you can unpack for this losing myself in the guilt. Yes. Wow. My name is Coach Betty. 
and you are listening or watching the Revenge of the Forsaken Gods podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Keep listening for more inspirational stories.